0: Hey, mate, how are you, man?
1: Good. How how are you? Busy, I see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm busy, uh, you know, with a lot of different things. Uh, one thing that I'm addressing is Screen Actors Guild has stripped us of what's called senior performer eligibility. So let me explain what that is, okay? Sure. When I first joined the union in 1977, they said, listen, you're going to be so happy when you turn 65, because if you have enough credits, you need 20, I have 30. And if you make enough money, I've made the money, you will have health insurance for life. You won't ever have to worry about, you won't even have to work, you'll have health insurance. Not that I don't want to work, but you'll be covered. They stripped us of senior performer eligibility, and now you have to make $28,000 in a calendar year, which is from September to June, and it all has to be on camera. Residuals don't even count. Do you know how difficult that is for some of us? So we're filing a class action lawsuit. In the what letter? Uh, are,
1: are they? Is it that's that they don't have the money or they don't want to spend the money?
0: You know, it's all these rich people at the top. Yeah. Ever since we merged with that, that was the worst fucking decision. Merging with After, and the union has been selling us up the river. It used to be. If you did like a law and order yeah. and you got $7,500 for the show, 10 days of work, you'd get a residual for $7,500. Now it maxes out at 3,600. That's a huge, that's more than half cut. Jeez. And that's like the begin. then you get, I can show you right now, a stack of checks. From Oz, a TV series I was on. Eighty-one cents, two dollars and sixteen cents, fourteen cents. I've got residual checks for one cent. We are. We got to turn this country around. We we are getting. Yeah. Well, I always it is it is labor. And not cap labor is prior to and more important than capital. Do you do you feel like? Um,
1: I mean, I only had experiences with SAG after for one project, and I don't ever intend to go again, and, unless things change. But do you feel like the pro- the problem is rooted in their most exposed? sort of talking heads are ultra-famous people who don't even really need to be in the union. Do you think that it makes sense to have a separate union for performers who aren't A-listers or or don't live in some Beverly Hills mansion?
0: My understanding is that several very famous, very wealthy people sided with the producers. Yeah. And... Push this through. Because they don't have a fucking thing to worry about.
1: Yeah, they probably They won't some spend cells.
0: the money they earn yeah. in 10 of their children's lives. And meanwhile, how am I supposed to get it? I've had three auditions all year. How am I supposed to make $28,000? Yeah. I'm infuriated. Anyway, I don't want to spell... Um, to you how, well, how mean, are this you this is
1: important topical uh, stuff it yeah. will inevitably affect the industry in the next few years probably the next decade oh my god and uh i didn't know what was going on i don't really follow the unions um but it is it is something that i recognized immediately that I'm, i've always thought maybe there should be a separate union uh where once you've once you're making a certain income if you're making millions of dollars off a single project Maybe you shouldn't have sway over how that union operates because you're going to, because immediately that individual is going to be out of touch with the reality. Um, and some of the best unions are run by people who never lost touch with sort of the re, the reality of um, economics as it concerns the people that they're working with and working for. The blue collar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's gonna have to be the approach. The problem is the show business and show business is a whole sort of cultural monster that where wealth is everything, wealth matters, and if you don't have wealth, fuck you uh
0: it's just that's basically it yeah
1: can can I do an intro yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, badass actor uh, that I have on <laughs> the podcast today has been in a whole lot of stuff, as As you've probably figured out. He's been in a lot of TV. He he was in Crime Story. I don't know if you guys remember Crime Story, but mm-hmm. the, their intro song was a redo of Runaway, that that oldie but goodie. Uh, he was in The Warriors, famously got fired from The Warriors, uh, which he's told that story countless times. Don't worry, I won't make you retell it. Uh, <laughs> My ingress into his resume was The Thing. And uh, recently I watched your Buffy episode. (laughs) Because I'm a huge Buffy fan. How funny. You're the guy that was accusing her of murdering her fellow slayer. That's so awesome. Right. right. Uh, But I actually met you through Steve. Steve brought me to your off-Broadway show about... um, You'd done a play on the creation of a novel called The Confederacy of Dunces, which I have on my shelf back there. Uh, that's correct and i was blown away by it i'm like all right yeah cool i think at some point i will probably have a podcast i'm gonna have you on the podcast and almost you. a year later here we are
0: <laughs> thank you thank you you've seen me on screen and on stage yeah that's cool
1: and uh yeah as a sci-fi horror guy uh of course i know who you are
0: the thing, <laughs> the
1: thing. so steve steve cohen who was on the podcast two weeks ago uh He's always talking love about Steve. the Warriors, which is so indicative of a native New Yorker because every native New Yorker I know is yeah. obsessed with the Warriors. I never got it, yeah. but the yeah. thing is
0: my gateway drug. So it, It's <laughs> the intellectual man's horror. Yes. Um, and obviously a, a far better experience for me personally.
1: I can imagine um, that it was more creatively uh, rewarding.
0: Yeah, it was... You know, John Carpenter is a great director, and uh, he creates a beautiful atmosphere for actors to work in. Uh, He makes it fun to go to work. Uh, You know, you work sometimes very long hours, but it's just, it's like being at a party. Go to a party every day and have a good time. And Kurt Russell, you know, who's been in the business since he was a kid. This is like rolling off a log for him, you know what I mean? (laughs) Not that he isn't professional, not that anybody wasn't ever 100% on target, but they just somehow, John, he manages to make it fun. I don't know how he does it. I talked to him on the phone the other day because I'm going to be directing my first feature film called Target in the spring. And I said, John, can you give me some advice? Well, I call him and, you know, he finally calls me back and he goes, Rumor has it that you're going to be directing a movie. <laughs> like just his whole approach to things is like a build up to a laugh. You you feel like you're getting set up for a joke. And uh, <laughs> and we had a good a good talk and he gave me some very solid pointers. I'm so fortunate and so blessed to have been well in both movies really, in The Warriors, although you know, it was not a great experience by my own doing yeah. Uh, not a great experience but uh, well, there are two cult classics I mean guys have, that are much more successful than I am can't lay claim to being in not one but two movies that change the course of cinematic history if you yeah. ask me
1: I mean that's sort of my thinking on it too is I've always for the past 20 years that I've been uh making films and trying to make films simultaneously (laughs) i've always said that i would rather do one cult classic than anything else and but that's so hard you can't predict what becomes that and i think that's why it's it's so interesting that you managed to nail two Uh, and
0: um i'm just a lucky guy
1: you know the thing about having fun on set i'd like to unpack that for a little bit uh because sure. I'd read that Bill Hader won't sign on to anything if he can't, if he's not guaranteed that it's going to be fun. What, what, how, how important is that to the creative process?
0: Oh, it's so crucial. You know, it's there's a way to do good, serious, hard, disciplined work and make it fun. Because if it's any good you're discovering things and you're surprised by things and you're actually emotionally having a transaction with someone and it's infectious and the crew and the cast and everybody watching gets this kind of thrill of being part of something, something special is going to happen here. And, you know, I've had that experience a lot. I I had it with Tom Fontana on Oz and Dean Winters, and I had it with Kurt on the thing. I've I've had it with a a lot of projects that I've been on. The one that you saw with Linda Pearl, the tools on stage, you know, um, you know, it was a, it can be fun because that's why we got into it yeah nobody wakes up and goes hey i think i'm gonna be a movie star they wake up and they go you know what do i like doing well i really dig performing you know i'm me personally tom i'm a natural born performer you know you put me on stage i'm i become like electricity like i'm the fucking mick jagger of the acting world you know i just think It just is fun. Again, not to discount, and I'm an acting teacher also, as you know, and I'm fierce with my students. I mean fiercely disciplined and almost punitive at times if they don't have it letter perfect, especially if you're doing Shakespeare. Is most of it was written in iambic pentameter. You add a syllable or leave a syllable out, the ear goes, what? Yeah. You know, what did you do there? And if I'm not on that, what kind of a teacher am I? You know, what am I teaching them? There are people that come out of some of these colleges with MFAs, they don't even know what iambic pentameter is. It's unconscionable. You know, it's why we have this impeachment. Why? Because of education. Because yeah. people don't know anything anymore. The school systems are deteriorating. The children are not learning anything anymore. People are afraid to teach and afraid to learn. I
1: actually have a, this actually get. I had a note here. This would be perfect ingress into it because um, I found that a lot of my peers in independent film. Don't know the difference between all the different sort of um, the the modes of acting. I guess uh, what do you like the Strasbourg method or uh, okay? So now you're talking about
0: the... different yeah uh, approaches to the craft. Yeah, can you can you so give us like the a, a brief one hundred and one? Yeah, sure. There's the method, which was invented by a man named Konstantin Stanislavsky around the turn of the century in Russia. Stanislavsky was a very wealthy man and he brought all his friends, to his big gigantic, you know, palatial estate and made them very warm and comfortable and fed them. And he loved doing musicals and he loved doing plays and he he just took care of everyone. And then one day he said, well, you know, I have, Of what a musician would consider arpeggiating scales. Right? Yeah. So that's an arpeggiated half of a scale. That would be the equivalent of that. So we started working with a thing called action. That is, how do I make the other person feel? You know, say good morning, but he's just stolen your last biscuit and you have no breakfast. You know, good morning, Eric. <laughs> uh, he's just, you know, giving you a hundred dollars that you need to pay the rent. Good morning, Eric. It's completely different, right? So that's Stanislavski. He invented that method and used it uh, to develop the interior life of the character. See, up until then, acting had been primarily like opera. It was all... They even had numbered gestures. So if you were uh, supposed to cry, they gave you a physical position And and they numbered it. That's how they taught acting from the outside, like opera. You know, very external is the only word I can think of. He became concerned with the interior life of the actor. And uh, Lee Strasberg went over to Russia with, um, you know, Stella Adler and Uta Hagen, and they came back with it. And Bobby Lewis and they made it their own they made their own they stole it from him used their own imprint and called it the method and that's the first thing right then an offshoot of that is a was a brilliant actor by the name of Sanford Meisner and people don't often realize that he was a brilliant actor first he was so good like no matter what part he played in the plays in the group theater he would get ovations. He'd stop the play. He was so great. That was Sanford Meisner. And he developed the thing called the repetition technique, where you say, here, I'll do it with you. Say, um, repeat these words. Good morning, Eric. Go ahead, do it. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good, good morning, Mark. Eric. Good morning, good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, good morning Eric. Good morning, <absur> Good morning,
1: Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric.
0: Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. And you do that for 15 minutes until you're ready to lose your fucking mind. And then all your defenses collapse and the mask drops and you become who you really are. That's the Meisner system. Then, you know, you have other offshoots, like there's Boleslawski, who was a Polish director that was interested in the physical, like you had to be in peak physical condition. No props, no sets, no lights, no costume. He called it, you know, the impossible theater. And You know, it was just raw, just no, you had no, nothing to, there's no illumination, there was no lighting, there was no costume, there was no props, there was just you and the text and the other actor. So there's that system. Then there's the Thomas G. Waite system, which is uh, the meeting of a crisis and dealing with it. That's my definition of that. Um, And it's completely unique and and, individual to me. And it's born out of 45 years of experience as a professional actor. And I start everyone off with Shakespeare. I sort of uh, steal that from Juilliard, to be honest. We started out with Shakespeare. They drop you in the deep ends of the pool. And then you kind of work your way back to contemporary work. And then you find your place in the middle. So that's how I kind of approach it. But that's a, that's your basic 101 and uh approaches to
1: Is there a uh... <clears throat> have you ever seen in all of your years a difference between the different methods as it concerns um like can one does one method work better on film versus stage?
0: Well, you know, I heard Paul Newman say there is no method there is only whatever works for you Hmm. and he's right about that you know um i i have found that when i'm doing film you have a lot more time you know you shoot three and seven eight pages in a day and on a professional you know big studio film maybe four five Nothing like TV where you shoot 10, 12 pages a day. You're just moving, running and gunning all day long because the it's got to get done. Yeah. Uh, you don't really have much time to use the method when you're doing TV. You sort of have to hit the mark and be as truthful as you can be. Film, you get to take your time and you can actually immerse yourself in the character. On stage, I find the method can be useful but you know um, Pacino is a big method actor Al is a, you know he was trained by Strasbourg. he loved Lee and Al used much of what still uses much of what Lee taught him sorry I lost you there
1: oh I see you
0: <laughs> you still see me yeah see I, I got to get a new computer and I was going to do that today And uh, all this happened with uh, the heat. So, wow, this is unbelievable. Well, you can still see me, but I can't see you. Yeah, it seems to
1: be working. You're not even skipping, so it's still running. That's really crazy.
0: Anyway, I'll try to keep going and
1: Yeah, you can still hear me, though, right?
0: Yeah, that's the most important thing,
1: correct. Um, Can we talk about the business side of things for a sec? since we've kind of started out there. Uh, And and I'll link to some of the videos I'm going to reference. That way we don't have to recount whole stories that you've recounted a thousand times. But in one video, you do recount uh, your Warriors incident. And you talked about... um, how you didn't go through an agent to deal with your problems. And I I was wondering if you could talk about why that is, why is it important to deal with, to only go through agents when dealing with your problems on set? And how does each party benefit from that
0: structure? Okay. So everything is specific unto the circumstance, right? So in that particular instance, I was like, the you know, maybe the next James Dean, at least in my dreams. And Paramount had put me under option. So I was kind of someone that they had their eye on that might, you know, make it really big. Like like the last people to be put under option were Robert Redford and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman. and I was in very good company. And the director and I didn't see eye to eye the way the movie was going. And he was under tremendous stress and pressure because his last two films, especially his last film, The Driver, did not do well at the box office. So they were breathing down this guy's neck in ways I couldn't comprehend. And I was not sensitive to his feelings. And for that, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I had no business disturbing the man in the middle of a shoot with my acting complaints what i should have done in that situation is since i was a a big player at the i was one of the stars of the movie i mean until i got fired um but you know like for example they tried to put all eight of us in one trailer you imagine this eight guys in one trailer in the middle of the summer i'm like you've got to be fucking kidding me and then you know because i complained about that it's like well he's the guy that complains all the time. when you know what i should have done is call my agent and say could you deal with this you're getting 10 percent of quite a lot of money as i recall even for back then and he would have been been glad to do it for me it was my ego yeah. it was me thinking you know i have to take charge of everything and i have to can you know run the show um you know i'm a recovered alcoholic and one of the symptoms of active alcoholism is a person with grandiosity and over inflated sense of themselves and i suffered terribly from that you know because i was like a poor street kid you know sleeping on a park bench and then the next thing i knew limousines were picking me up you know what i mean Uh, the the change the adjustment was so abrupt for me and i had no humility and and i I paid a price i'm still paying a price for that and that's why if if there's any you know young kids out there if there are any actors out there on the verge or trying to get into the business you know Humility is a far more powerful tool to get what you want than grandiosity. Humility is, well, it's a lost virtue in our society today, especially, you know, this guy Trump is is the exact opposite of humility. Joe Biden is a humble guy. You know, will he be the greatest president that ever? I don't think he knows or cares. I think he's just trying to do the job. You know, what happened to just trying to do the job? And um, I think a country very much reflects its leader. Its leader very much reflects its people. And this, you know, circles back to what we said about lack of education. People don't read anymore. They just pick up their phone and, you know, flash through, get the highlights, you know. Uh, I admonish against that. And um, with regards to the business, you know, the business has changed so drastically from when I started. You know, I remember reading a story about the great, late, great Tom Petty, who was a hero of mine, you know. I love his music. I loved every song he'd ever written, and his singing voice, his playing, his song. You know, he got really good in Florida. Knew that he was good. Drove to the West Coast and walked into every record label in Los Angeles and said, "Hi, my name's Tom Petty. Here's my demo tape. Take a listen." And everybody wanted to sign him. I respect. You know that. the. When I was a kid, you go to the office and you knock on the door and say, "Can I get an appointment?" They say, "No, forget it." You come back the next day. And you, it's me again. Could you could you please let me come in and meet you? Get out of here. You're a pain in the ass. You come back the next day. And, please come on. Would you let me please meet Jeff Hunter? You know. All right, all right. We'll give you an appointment. Come back and and you can't do that now because everything's electronic and everything is. So that's why film has become so important and the way you look on film. And then again, back to education, who's writing anything of any value that you can put on a reel that's going to spark an agent or a manager's interest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, the writing in the film industry is
1: certainly, it's hard to get good writers hired, um, which is something I plan on talking about in a future episode with some writers. Um, But the Tom Petty, I love that Tom Petty bit because, you know, when I was in film school, I was cold writing studio executives. Like I'm the next shit. Like, (laughs) and I I got a lot of flack for that. Like, you know, cold writing executive. I'm like, of course you do. (laughs) Good for you. Um, Yeah, I I love that kind of, that that sort of attitude. I think that's the
0: best way to go into it all. Well, one must be confident, but not arrogant. Right, exactly. And and confidence comes with repetition. Confidence comes with rehearsal. Confidence comes with doing it again and again and again. You know, I didn't know you were a filmmaker, uh, so I'm directing my first film. I've rewritten this thing at least 25 times since March. And I probably will take another pass at it again before we start shooting. Writing, as Ernest Hemingway said, is rewriting. And, um, you know, it's that capacity to repeat, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And for an actor, why that's important is if you do eight shows a week, Well, there's a guy from Iowa that just paid, you know, 150 bucks to come and see you. He doesn't care that you have a hangover. He wants the same performance that you gave on opening night when the critics were there. You know, how do you come up with that? You have to have a technique. You have to have the capacity to recreate the same thing every time and make it seem like you never did it before.
1: Would you say it's important for actors to have some level of writing in their background?
0: Yes, absolutely. R- writing and reading. Yeah. There's nothing worse than a stupid actor. <laughs> when I'm auditioning actors for you know, a project, I look for two things. Are they tough? Because it's going to be tough. Doing a play in New York or any place else for that matter, you're going to be in the trenches, man. And, or if I'm directing a movie, I've only directed two short films. This is my first feature. It's going to be tough. You're going to be in the trenches out there. Sometimes the conditions are difficult. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes you have no money. Sometimes, you know, come on in. And uh, so the two qualities I look for are, are you tough and are you smart? You know, have you read? Do you know who Tolstoy is? Yeah. Do you know what War and Peace is? Do you know what The Count of Monte Cristo is? Do you know what Shakespeare—that he—that he was the greatest writer of the. Think of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that have written throughout the years, from beginning of the written word, and he was the top anybody that's ever written anything will tell you they tip their hat to the men like bach was to music shakespeare was to writing
1: yeah i remember uh in my undergrad i had an independent study called um herman the her the critical and cultural context of herman melville's moby dick or something like that and i just studied moby dick for four credits oh, hold on for, one second sure
0: hey jeff can you turn your radio off and um basically sorry so herman melville's moby dick yeah and great uh, book he, another he genius a, yeah Melville.
1: he was a genius who was so clearly inspired by his collection of shakespeare's plays he had one of the first published collections of everything that shakespeare wrote uh, i didn't and, know that yeah and he he wrote extensively about how he would just if he felt blocked in terms of his writing he would just go back into
0: Shakespeare and come out with new ideas oh he really is the source of inspiration I mean you know I've was 2600 words he invented um (laughs) uh, and the first one of course to say but that the to people considering suicide but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. 500 years ago or more, and you go there to Stratford, there's a whole town and the whole town exists and flourishes and thrives in every shop. And two theaters because of what? One guy. They all have worked because of one guy. Who wrote 37 plays, 146 sonnets, three lyric poems, did it all by hand and died by 52. Nobody has anything Greatest. on him.
1: Nobody has anything on him. Oh, my goodness.
0: Just hearing you put it that way, it's just like... Uh, uh. That's why I teach my actors. That's why I make them start out with the hard stuff. And some of them are like, they look at me like, I can't even read this, let alone memorize it. You will. Trust me, you will.
1: That alone should be the lesson in how to be humble. You'll never be this. So there's no (laughs) point in being a dick about what you're doing now. There you go. There you go. Uh, aside from uh, Shakespeare, do you have any contemporary? Um, what, like, what kind of what kind of shows do you watch? Do you binge? Do you do you watch films? Uh, you know, I
0: just watched this wonderful thing on Netflix called Kingdom, about MMA fighting. Now, I don't care for MMA. I don't even watch boxing. I loathe violence. I'm a love child from the 70s, but this guy, Byron Belasco, I believe his name is, he developed. Wow. Okay, thank you. It's a good thing I love the cold. All right, see you later, Jeff. Thanks you're not getting heat for a while no the heat's off in the building Jeez, bad timing yeah that's right i do actually really love the cold, but that's another story anyway this kid byron blasco created uh i don't know if he's a kid but a tv series called kingdom with a brilliant actor named frank grillo and uh uh, the Nick Jonas from the Jonas Brothers is in it, and another young man, I think his name's Jonathan Zachariah. Um, but it's all about, the, and there's another brilliant actor in it too, and I can't think of his name. And I forgive me if anyone's listening, I, I just um, didn't catch it. But uh, the show, like again, here's a world that I know nothing nor care anything about. But you're so drawn in to the family. It's a family story. It's a dad who's divorced his wife and his wife is a hooker and She's a drug addict and one of the kids becomes a drug addict and then there's the fights that they train for and the arduous physical training that these actors must have put themselves through to be in the physical condition that they were in. It's just awe-inspiring. And uh, the story really escalates and finally culminates in a tremendous moment of poignant awareness of the main character having a a cognizant realization of his failure as a man, his inability to listen to his son when his son needed him the most. And by gosh, it it really really pulled me in. Um, I'm sure that we'll be hearing many things from both Frank Grillo and uh, Byron Belasco and all the actors that Joanna going is in it. She's marvelous actress. Uh, it was, it was just, that was really a treat, you know, because this pandemic, I mean, you can't go anywhere. You can't see any plays. So um, I, I really enjoyed uh, news of the world. The new Paul Greengrass film with Tom Hanks. I haven't seen that uh, yet. Oh, uh, it's on my list. It's though. quite it's quite good. And you know what's really fun is King of Staten Island.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I live out there, so or out here.
0: <laughs> I, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed. So that and of course Borat. Borat made me laugh when Giuliani has yeah. his hand down his pants and gets <laughs> caught. We had this we were trying to eat pizza and my buddies and watched the movie we laughed so hard we had to stop the movie so we didn't <laughs> choke to death that guy borat's a freaking genius
1: and and you know i think that 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 movie matters more now than it did when he first did it because everything that he was exposing years ago has come to a head with the capital riots and all that that's what it was all coming to that's the commentary
0: and he saw That's what, uh, I think Ibsen was asked, what is a poet? A poet is a person with a vision. They see it before we do. Yeah. And I think that's what this guy Borat does.
1: Did you ever see, um, going back to the King of Staten Island, did you ever see the SNL sketches where Pete Davidson is just ripping on his hometown? He's just running no. on Staten Island. The King of Staten Island is all that much better if you go onto YouTube and you look up Pete Davidson Staten Island sNL it's solid gold because him and the other host one of the other hosts from Saturday Night live are both from Staten Island one's a pretty boy but then one's Pete Davidson and they compare and contrast how the Staten Island advance treats them uh and it's 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 wonderful and marvelous and it's almost like the special feature for that movie that you need.
0: I I was, you know, before this pandemic hit, I was gearing up for a big gig at this club in Staten Island that's supposed to be the most popular club in the whole borough and it's packed and the guy was so excited to have me because he was a big Thing fan and the band was going to really actually make some money and we were gearing up for that and then everything got shut down. I think it's called Uggs. That's the name of it, I think. But. Yeah,
1: I don't really do much out here except leave every day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had, uh, right before the pandemic, I had tickets to Hamilton, which I never got to use.
0: Oh, uh, wow. That
1: hurt. That broke
0: my heart. <laughs> He's another brilliant dude that Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Oh, my God. This kid is just. He's just off the charts. I mean, he his talent is extraordinary. You know, one of the guys that invested in my film called me and he said, "All right, all right, I'll give you a little bit of money because I had to cobble together. You know, I'm cobbling together little chunks of money to shoot a seventy thousand dollar film. It really, should be two point five million. Anyway, we're doing to do it anyway. Yeah, but one of the guys before he sent me the money, he said, well, wait a minute, before I send you this, I want you to sit there and tell me, this guy, Lynn manuel or whatever his name is, Hamill, are you going to tell me that he's in the same class with Ibsen and Shakespeare? And I said, yes, I am. He said, God, I don't believe it. I said, oh, Chip, I'm telling you, he, the guy is you listen to those songs they're freaking brilliant and imagine going into a pitch meeting saying i'm going to do a historical uh you know docudrama about alexander hamilton only i'm going to make everybody black and hispanic and put hip-hop music to it i mean can you imagine the investors going what yeah and and they did it i i think it was the public theater that gave him his first shot i think so god bless them god bless anybody trying to create anything you know you may get there you may not get there you know it doesn't matter it just only matters that you have an idea and a dream and you chase it and you you give everything you have for it because it's it's the only thing worth living for you know i believe that work is the point of life yeah. I believe that, you know, look, I've had children and been married and I adore my children and they love me too. And they're great. But the reason for to live for man is to work because through work you improve yourself.
1: Yeah. I, I love that. And I, that's been my thesis on this podcast over and over again is live to create. And sounds like we we agree, and I think we should go out on that.
0: Um, we we are creators, yeah. yeah, yeah creators. We are creators. Thanks so much for for having me, Art. Yeah,
1: thanks for doing this. I know you're busy. Um If you ever want to come on to talk about your film or promote your film, uh, get it, you know for anything, because I know how hard it's going to be not only to make this film but to get people to sit down and watch it. Um, yeah, just. Feel free to reach out to me. You have. Oh, I appreciate that, Eric. On here, anytime you want.
0: Thank you, my brother. I really appreciate that. Peace and love, you know. Peace and love, man. All right, out.